Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you too, Andrew. Is it a white, snowy morning in Dublin today? It's not snowy. It is really cold, though. I went out earlier with uh, with Lana to take mm-hmm. her for a walk, and I wrapped up well with a snood and a big jacket and gloves and a woolly hat and a big hood on my, my big coat, and it did try to snow, but it wasn't, wasn't really snow. It was kind of these little tiny, tiny flecks of not rain not hail but little snowy things but it didn't stick or it didn't stay for too long is it is it snowy there well again the the bits of snow themselves seem mm. so insignificant yeah. and yet somehow overnight they have accumulated into a substantial dusting of snow um remember all the fuss about like they can't cancel christmas if they had just delayed christmas by, you know, a matter of weeks, we could have had a white one. Oh, well, you know, that's just added to the list of things they got wrong, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. The weather forecast, they should have yeah. factored that into their political thinking. Um, yes, how do you feel about the football? Oh, getting straight into it. How do I feel about the football? I feel frustrated by the football. Um, I, 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 the reason I got straight into yeah. it is because bef- I was just making myself a drink as I was... Um, getting ready for this podcast cup of tea oh right okay was, it's very <laughs> early what are you having it's gin and tonic yeah well, it's locked down <laughs> but uh i was thinking why have the defeats this week hurt me less why have they hurt me less than some of the other ones this season okay do you want uh, do you have a theory or do you want me well, to I, give I you i have a... two possible theories and right. then I'll put them out there and you might have another one. Okay. Um, and then the answer isn't because I've been drinking every day since 10am. Yeah. Uh, and stop caring. Yeah. <laughs> I've given up on life. <laughs> no, my, uh, my answers are, is it because, is it because A, I see sort of better process and signs of growth in the team. And so I kind of view these defeats as more acceptable because I think we generally played better than we were earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. That's sort of idea number one. That's my initial instinct. Idea number two, which I worry it may be, is is it just that I've sort of given up on the Premier League and there's a kind of tipping point at which 
defeats don't really seem to have great influence anymore because I sort of I was quite consigned to resign to rather a sort of mid-table finish. Um, hmm, that's a good one. I mean, I think certainly the second one might well be a factor, but I would imagine certainly the first one you said is much more in line with what I'm thinking in that... Mm. Um, what what word did you use? I think acceptable. I don't know if I would necessarily say acceptable, but but I can see in the way that we're playing and the way that we're trying to play a way through issues and defeats like this. Like, you know, I think right. we're, we're still kind of masters of our own misfortune in many ways. Yeah. And I think the, the inconsistency that we suffer as a team is kind of the the next thing if you like that Mikel Arteta has to really address because what separates a good team a top four team from a mid-table team is mastering as we keep talking about fine margins and we can't do that just at the moment but when I think back to the darkest time of this season that run in November and December there really wasn't anything to like Mm-hmm. really about the way that we played football um you know arteta was talking about how we need to create more we need to um uh you know be more effective from a, an attacking perspective and i think that is yeah. still true i think there's a there's an issue of efficiency slash ruthlessness whatever you want to call it in in both creativity and end product in the final third i think that is certainly an area in which we can improve however i see a team which at least looks like it's taking shape if you like mm-hmm. you know you know mm-hmm. what i mean i think there is something different about the way we're playing now than the way we were playing in November and December. And and look, you know, I'm not here to excuse defeats or, or make excuses for them. I think we can look at the reasons why they're happening. But if you ask me to to compare and contrast Arsenal earlier in the season with Arsenal now, I'm not saying it's quite night and day, but you, I can see clear differences. And that, for me at least gives me some hope that we can address the issues and the the, the difficulties we, we have, which make us lose games like the one we lost at Aston Villa. Yeah, I, I think, like I say, my instinct is to say that that is why they hurt me slightly less, that I can at least see the direction of travel, mm. as it were. I can kind of see where we're trying to go. And I, I see a route through our problems, basically. I see that if mm. we got good at what we're doing now, um, we would be in a far better position to sort of tackle this league. Um, I also, I, I suppose what sort of gives me pause for thought is just that looking at our results recently, you know, one point from three games, it's not good. And it's weird mm. that it comes at a time where my feelings about the team are more positive. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just odd holding those things in in. Sure, I, I know exactly what you mean. I know what you mean, and and you know to to lose against Wolves, to lose against Aston Villa, you know, which isn't to to downplay uh, those sides. I mean, I think Villa are a good side. They've caused us problems, you know, in the last number yeah. of games in which we played them. So you know, it shouldn't be any surprise to us, and it's not to take anything for granted. But you know, it is when you look at the games that we've lost and the the points that we've dropped in games against opposition that you know, on paper 
whether that exists in reality or not, against teams that you would expect Arsenal to do better against. I'm not saying we should win every game and take three points in every single game, but I think when you when you look at um, Palace, Wolves, Aston Villa, Burnley, uh, you know, to take what one point from from some of those games, uh, from those yeah. four games in particular, is nowhere near good enough, you know, but. I can see that there are things and areas in which we are improving, which isn't to say they're perfect and 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 everything else. But but yeah, maybe that's me and you clinging to silver linings in some way. But I do think it's true. I do think there are there are positives about the way we are trying to play, if not necessarily uh, executing. Uh, that 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 should give us some kind of uh, glimmer of hope. Yeah, I, I agree that we're better. But it also worries me that, that we're, we're better, but not still not good enough yeah. to win some of these games. You know, yeah. it's it, it shows I think how how bad we were as well. Mm. Um, but I also think that we are being quite harshly punished at the moment for the errors that we make, certainly on the defensive side, mm. uh, and you know with the red cards and stuff. It does kind of feel like. It's not not just circumstance, it's our players as well, but things yeah. are slightly conspiring against us a little bit. Yeah, okay. That's a careful, I want to be careful with that word. Yeah, I don't I was mean gonna to say, say I, I know. there's a refereeing conspiracy I know, against I know, Arsenal. I know, I know. I, but I think this is where the two things come into play for me, in that I think you're right. Um, you know, we have been... I don't know if you can call it bad luck, uh, but I agree that we have been punished to the, ag- uh, to the absolute hilt for some relatively small mistakes mm-hmm. however i think those mistakes are exacerbated by the lack of goals creativity well, ruthlessness I mean- at the other end so like you can be punished harshly but maybe you can put yourself in a position where the uh, the mistake doesn't turn out so harsh. Like, if you concede in the first 60 seconds, 70 seconds of a game, you still have 89 minutes plus injury time, which, you know, over the course of of the the two halves turned out to be basically another eight or ten minutes. You've got a long time to make up for that mistake, and we didn't. So that, you know... We need to be the the punishers, not the punishees. Sure, sure. I mean, mean, like, you know, for example, in this game, and it happened right at the start of the game, so... So we're talking about we make a big defensive error that gives Aston Villa a goal. And obviously you look at that and you go, well, that was the the one mistake, you know, Arsenal made in this match and they were punished for it. But of course you make mistakes in the attacking third too. You make mistakes yeah. when you don't play the right final pass or when yeah. you miss hit your shot or, you know, so yeah, yeah. I think you're right. There's, there's our, our relative efficiency defensively that seems to be interrupted by like these freak moments mm. is is being punished so harshly because we don't quite yet do enough at the other end of the pitch that's yeah that's i think where we'll come to but let's start with the with the goal that we conceded and look i i think a lot of the focus is on cedric for what was a an underhit pass to Gabriel, a bit of miscommunication between the two, perhaps. Um, maybe he was just kind of laying it off for Gabriel to move on to. I'm not 100% sure on that. And I think it's, you know, it's it's fair to point to that being a Cedric mistake. And from there, without that, of course, nothing else transpires. However, 
I, I I really have to take some issue with Rob Holdings defending in the in the penalty area for this one. I think he's yeah. ball watching. Um, you know, the mistake that Cedric made is exacerbated by a mistake from Holding. I think it's not maybe an obvious mistake, but it is bad defending. I think. You know, there are central defenders who are no longer at this football club who, if they had made that mistake, would absolutely get taken to task for it. And I think it's it's only reasonable to to point out that, that Rob Holding, um, you know, as consistent as he's been and as hard as he's worked and everything else, really didn't cover himself in glory there. I think he should have been much closer to Ollie Watkins if he was. You know, he either blocks the shot or he cuts out the pass, um, but he's watching the ball. He's not watching the men. Absolutely, I agree with that. And, I mean, you didn't name him, but I remember a similar incident with Squadron Mustafi, actually, and him getting absolutely slated for it, just not, you know, being tight to the man. Mm. And I, 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 yeah, I think, I wonder if it had something to do with it being so early in the game, yeah. you know, inside the first minute. Maybe his concentration wasn't quite there. Maybe the same goes for Cedric. I mean, I think... You know, when you look at Cedric, he's a right-footed player playing left-back, you sort of think, oh, is that part of it? But actually, the ball kind of comes to him on his right instep. Mm. Like, you know, it, it's as he would want it, given his position. And he there's just a miscommunication, clearly. Mm. I mean, he thinks one thing, Gabriel thinks the other. Uh, but yeah, I agree, holding wasn't alive enough in the box. But I mean infuriating for us and for the manager yeah, presumably. Well sure and it, you know what it is though it's a, it's a concentration issue it's a, um you know the the end of the first half against Wolves we were expecting the final or the halftime whistle it didn't come and we got punished we just switched off and and you know that's um that is a lapse in concentration from from Cedric from holding you know you have to be alive um, at the start of a game, you can't really excuse mm. that kind of lapse in concentration in the first minute of a game because you know you, you've just had the team talk, you've just had the you know the guys in the tunnel in the dressing room, you know all the come on guys, let's get ready, let's do this. You can't excuse that kind of lapse in concentration early on. However, it was really early, and it does give you all the time that you need to uh, to get back into a game. I mean, it strikes me that. It's the kind of goal, if we were to score it, we'd end up talking about uh, at the end, well, we scored too early. One of those kind of <laughs> goals, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas with, with, with goals that go against us at the moment, it doesn't seem like, like that's the case. So, I mean, what did you make of the, the response to the goal? I, I think there was an element of the team being a little bit tired or a little bit taking a bit of time to warm up if you like yeah um, i mean you thought there'd be more rotation didn't you i think going into yeah, the game maybe maybe i thought maybe we might see um odegar for smith row for example who did 90 minutes and nine men and 10 men and all that kind of stuff um yeah you know yeah. Uh, but uh, it took us a little while to warm into the game and to 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 get going i did think we we ended the first half quite well I thought we had a really good opportunity about midway through the first half to hit them on the break when mm -hmm. Lacazette came forward with yeah, the ball. Yeah, I remember that. 
And, uh, you know, it's the second example in recent weeks, uh, in recent games of, of Lacazette choosing the wrong option or not choosing the right option quickly enough. You know, you think about the, the moment when he could have played Martinelli in against Manchester United. It would have been a, a one-on-one opportunity for Martinelli. And here he had Pepe on one side, he had Saka the other side. And I know there's an element of like drawing the man onto you so you can release the ball at the right time, but, you know, you've got to do it when you when you do delay. You've got to make sure you find the pass. And instead, he delayed so much the pass got cut out. Yeah, and I'm not even sure he picked the right option mm, no. when he did. Um, at least he didn't have the shot from 40 yards. <laughs> didn't mm. do what he did against Man United. But uh, that was a big opportunity. And that's what I mean, I guess, about errors at both ends of the pitch. And some are more mm. memorable than others. But that was a a chance for Arsenal because the first half an hour or so it became quite clear you know once Villa had their lead that kind of gave them their game plan and they their back four defended very effectively but very narrow Mm. uh, and it just congested a lot of the space in the centre of the pitch and I think we found that hard going in Mm. the first half Um, and yeah I mean that was that was a really good moment I'm trying to think if there were there was the Shaka, there were others in the first half. Shaka, the free, Shaka free kick. Yeah. yeah. It's a great save. Really good strike. Very good. good strike, great save. Yeah. Um, Who is that guy in goal for Villa? Never heard of him. Don't know. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Seems to have come out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's see. I mean, what else was there in the first I mean, there was a moment with Saka, wasn't there, where he yeah. was, he was uh, taken down a long way from goal in fairness. Again, I'm looking at that one with my... With my Arsenal fan hat on while fully accepting that had an Arsenal defender made that foul he would have been sent off I also think it would have been really harsh you know for for a sending off there you know we can come to the rotational fouling in a moment but I think the 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 issue I would take with um, what happened to Saka is that the defender who got the yellow card there about 10 minutes later, went right through the back of Lacazette under the nose of the referee and didn't get another yellow card. And I, you know, I don't want to make this all about referees. I've got a question about it later on. Um, but I do think there were a couple of moments, maybe more than one moment, when Villa got away with fouls that could easily have been yellow cards. I think that one could have been a second yellow. There was one by, I can't remember who it was, in the late in the second. It could have been Watkins late in the second half where he just basically took out the guy as he released the ball and there was no, there was the ref played on but he never came back to to book the player again it took Grealish way too long to get booked for a couple of fouls on on Saka the rotational fouling on Saka was was obvious and that in some ways is is a credit to how good Saka is but yeah that that moment where I think a lot of fans were looking for a red card I wouldn't have been happy if an Arsenal player had been sent off there but I can guarantee you that had an Arsenal defender been booked and then made that foul on Lacazette, he would have gone. He would have gone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be interesting to see, I suppose, what they would have given had it been someone like David Luiz hauling down Bukayo Saka near the halfway line, mm. if his reputation would precede him in those instances. I sort of agree with you. I think there's a kind of a thing happened where, you know, we feel like there's been a bit of injustice as Arsenal fans. So every time almost anything happens in a Premier League game, we're all screaming for mm. them to be sent off. Um but I don't really want that to be a sending sending off. No, uh, I, I don't either. Really, I think it's too yeah. far from goal to really be a, a denying a clear goal scoring opportunity. 
No, yeah, I think there's an interesting discussion of like how do you define a clear goal scoring opportunity, you mm. know, and to what extent is it different for for different people, but uh yeah, I I I kind of didn't have a huge issue with that. It was more the rotational fouling. I mean, I think uh who was but Konza was obviously booked yeah. and then uh Nakamba as well. Um was booked for a foul on Saka. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned a few weeks ago, you can see him becoming a target. It is a compliment, but it's a concerning compliment. Yeah, he was down a couple of times, wasn't he? So, um, okay, well, I mean, first half and then second half, I thought, as frustrating as it is not to score, I thought some of the football we played was pretty good, to be honest. Matt Ryan, let's just talk about him for a second. If we're looking for real positives from the day, I don't know that you can really go to town on you know your goalkeeper when you lose 1-0, but I thought he had a, a pretty solid debut, um, made some good saves. It was really interesting to me. I don't know if you noticed this, but when he makes a save, the ball goes a long way wide of his goal. Maybe it was just like, I don't know if that's a feature of his goalkeeping. Mm. Or if he just had one of those days where everything he touched went pinging off to one side. But, you know, there have been a couple of times lately where, and, and this isn't to be critical of Leno, but there have been a couple of times where, was it the last game where Leno made a save and, and Holding had to get into clear because he didn't quite get it wide enough? I know not every save can be, like, pushed way wide, but I thought that was quite a feature of, of the saves that Ryan made. Yeah, there was there was one in particular that I'm thinking of that I remember thinking, oh, we got a bit lucky there. You know, mm. it was a good, it was a decent stop, but uh, it could have kind of gone anywhere. I mean, the one he made from Traore, I think uh, he does well because, I mean, I, I was to be honest, I was very glad Traore tried to chip that one. Mm. Um, I think if he goes yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, between yeah. the keeper's legs or low, he probably scores. Uh, but uh, Matt Ryan, I mean, had a nightmare start. You felt for him. What what an introduction to Arsenal conceding within to a deflected goal within a minute, whatever it was. But he did okay. I mean, I think, yeah, it, it's always his handling maybe could have been more sure, but mm. I didn't feel panicked by his presence. No, no, I didn't either. Um, yeah, he he did well. Uh, you know, he's never going to be pleased. Obviously, when you lose and when you don't keep a clean sheet on your debut for a club you support, you're not going to be happy. But I think generally he can be pleased with his performance. And I, I think you're right that there was a measure of uh, calm there that maybe we wouldn't have had uh, with with Alex Runison, uh, with all due mm. respect to him. So look, I think it's fair to point out that Villa did have some chances in the in the second half. We did too. I mean, there was a Pepe one just wide. I think there was a Smith row shot that got blocked, and I wonder what might have happened if he had gone down in the box there. It looked to me like there might have been. There was a Pepe one as well, where I think, did he take a shot? I think he took a shot with his left foot. It deflected Martinez, put a foot out, made a good save. Yeah. But it was one of those where, and we've seen it over the weekend, where as he's turning away from the defender, there's definitely contact. And I wonder if he goes down to Arsenal, get a penalty there. Um, but, you yeah. know, he needs, to, he needs to watch Mo Salah. Yeah, well, uh, how to do that. Oh, my God. I mean, it's <laughs> fucking ridiculous. The sniper, the Anfield sniper strikes again. It is ridiculous. Um, you know, and it, it, it's that really fine balance, isn't it? Like, what do you want from a player? Do you want him to show strength and desire to hold the defender off and get a shot away and maybe score? Or do you want him to go down and try and win a penalty? And if it's not given, then, you know, it's... Because it, he stays it on his feet yeah. 
at, at St Mary's against Southampton, you know, out muscles the guy and scores. Yeah. So, and we were all complimenting him for it. I mean, that was, I felt, if we were going to get anything where it was going to come from, Pepe in that inside mm. left channel, I thought he looked our most dangerous player. Yeah. Um, and there were a couple of moments. I mean, there was one, I think he shifted it onto his right foot and it went just wide. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there were a few chances. Villa, you're right. You know, as is kind of inevitable, maybe, as you go chasing the game, uh, had their opportunities at the other end. Mm. But, um, yeah, I mean, the second half was definitely an improvement. Although, what did you make of the substitutions? Okay, well, that was, that, was, that was the next topic of, of conversation. Yeah. Aubameyang for Lacazette, I had no problem with that whatsoever. You know, yeah, I it's think, a logical change, yeah. isn't it? I didn't think Lacazette was particularly great, and I thought maybe we might get some more from Aubameyang, but we didn't. Mm. And that's a bit of a worry, a bit of a concern. I think there was one chance, and I think he should have done better. It was a sack across, and he had a header. It was pretty tame. I think he just maybe jumped a bit early or whatever it was. But Right. Right. I think maybe he should have done a bit better, but his... his his He nearly got on that Pepe cross as well, mm. didn't he? That was a big moment. Yeah. And that's why you bring him on. I mean, Arsenal Arsenal played a lot of crosses in this game. They were up to about 30 crosses again. And, yeah. you know, Aubameyang is a guy somewhat unlike Lacazette, who is going to make that run across his man, who is going to try and get to the near post, is going to try and get a toe on stuff. So, mm. I, yeah, I, I thought that was the right thing to do yeah. to get him on. Yeah. Odegaard for Cedric, absolutely no issue with that whatsoever for me. I think, you know, we're we're losing, we're chasing the game, we're looking uh, to get a goal. We take off a defender, we put a uh, an attacker at left back, mm-hmm. a better option at left back than Cedric, in my opinion, and I don't think in in any way it it really. Uh, negated his impact in the final third because we know Saka can produce from there. We know he can get forward. He can overlap. Um, he got that cross in for, was it for Pepe? No, actually yeah. it was Saka who created the chance for Aubameyang. He also created the uh, chance for for Odegaard who hit yeah. that shot over the bar. I mean, that was a big moment. That was a that was a very good chance to get something from the game. And, and I think he should have done better there. I think he'd be very disappointed with that. So I didn't really have any issue with that substitution uh, at all. Um, and I know we talked about this previously and we were reluctant to consider Saka at left back, but I think the last couple of games have shown us that you can only really get so much out of an out-of-position player before it starts to become... Maybe a problem is the wrong word, but an issue or something that 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 there are limitations. Yes, yeah. yeah, there are limitations, uh, I, and I think Cedric's done pretty well. I really do. I think you he's know, done okay. I think he's done okay. You know, I'm not going to go to town. Uh, I think he had a good game against, sort of a good game against Southampton. I know he played that amazing pass and and what have you, but you know, I think even in that game there were there were some limitations in in his passing which you know didn't hurt us on the night but I think over time become a bit of a problem and and I would rather to be honest um I would rather have him competing with Hector Bellerin for right back than filling in at left back mm. you know well <laughs> I, which is another discussion really but yeah and and something I do think about the left back situation is uh you know I I appreciate it's awkward that we don't have 
another Kieran Tierney. But realistically, we're not going to have another Kieran Tierney. No, and I look, I can understand criticism as well of not getting a left back in the January window. At the same time, I think we have said, you know, when it comes to recruitment and the decisions that we make, we have to now move into a space where we are getting the right player, the player we absolutely want and need in a position and not taking any short-term decisions. Um, mm. You know, not panic buying and, and that kind of stuff. And look, you could make a case for a short-term loan. I'm not sure that Bertrand from Southampton was ever realistic. Why would they let him go? Uh, Van, An- Van Anholt from Crystal Palace again. You know, I'm not sure they were going to let him go. If you could have got one of those guys for a short-term period, great. But if you can't, you've got to kind of keep your powder dry. Uh, you know, I think there is a, a discussion to be had about left-back and what we do in the absence of tyranny. I mean, I think for me, it's now, it's now. I think we have to really consider Saka there if tyranny is not going to be. Really, if you come yeah, around to that, yeah, then. yeah, I think so. I just think in terms of the balance of the team and what he can offer us from left back. I think it's, I think it's worth considering. Yeah, because we do I, I, have options further forward. Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess it might get Mikelata out of a selection headache further forward as well, to a certain extent. Um, I think it's, it's a tricky one. I, I, I think Cedric's done a little bit better than you do. I think he's played. I think he played well at Wolves. I think he played pretty well at Southampton. Um, but I think that, you know, this change for me of moving Saka when you're chasing a goal makes perfect sense. You know, it's mm. not like when we used to put Theo Walcott at right back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. He sort of was just kind of running up the flank like a headless chicken. Saka's done it. He's got penetration from that area. He's got delivery from that area. The only thing it slightly takes away is potentially his goal scoring threat because he's so good cutting inside and shooting from the mm. right. But... Yes, what were we talking about? The broader conversation was about the substitutions. The substitutions. Okay, so here comes here comes the one which I think will get people exercised, and that was Willian for Partey. Now, I don't know what. So Willian was this. coming on. Yeah, he right? was coming on. I don't think he was coming on for Partey. I, I'm I'm guessing that it was either going to be for for Smith Rowe, yeah. or Pepe. Yeah, I would have guessed Smith Rowe. But who knows? Yeah, we can't say for sure. I think what happened was Partey went down. William was ready. We decided not to waste any time by, you know, getting Ceballos. I mean, white players don't have their fucking shin pads on and all that kind of stuff and are ready to go. I don't know. Um, that's another conversation. But I think we decided that, okay, William is ready. We can... Um, bring him on straight away we don't lose any time we're chasing a game speed is of the of the essence etc 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 and i think that was the wrong move i think we should have replaced Partey with sabayos that would have been what i would have done um so it wasn't just it wasn't just that it was also the fact that it meant moving Pepe to the why right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, why? It was working down the left-hand side. I know I'm not the first person to, to make this point, but we were effective down that left-hand side. Yeah. And we've put on a player <laughs> who, like, I, I, I don't understand why... 
I think it's fair to question why William was the guy coming off, uh, well, that's coming exactly. on in that situation anyway. Yeah, yeah. Whoever it was for, I, you know, I think that's absolutely at, right. Yeah, you've got Sabios there, you've got Gabriel Martinelli there on form, on performances this season. That's a very difficult one to understand. And I know Willian came on and was okay against Man United, and I don't want to be like, we've completely ignored that. But I just think when you look at the bigger picture, it was a very strange one. And it was strange to then allow that change, which isn't even the change you wanted to make, to alter the shape and the setup of your team. Why could Willian not have gone on the right-hand side? I, I mean, that no that idea. is, you know, his position. That's where he is at whatever his best is not that we've ever seen it um but you know that that seemed such a strange one to me to 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 bring Willian on and then to play him out of position on the left hand side moving a guy who was actually being quite effective over there and combining pretty well with with Bakayo Saka I just I mean it was there's no other way to talk about it or, or to judge it than saying it was a bad decision. It was a mm. bad decision. It was bad management. There's no there's no two ways about it. And Yeah. And until that moment I quite fancied Arsenal to get something. I thought uh, we might. I thought we might. Like I'm sort of I'm I'm heading towards glass half empty when we get to like seventy five minutes and we still haven't scored. But yeah. I thought there were signs that we might have been able to get something from that game because Martinez did have would. to make, you know, a save or two and we looked a bit threatening. But that that's that change absolutely derailed us. And Yes, it, it killed the momentum. Yeah. Um I, I I'm struggling a bit to understand the Willian thing now because look, Mikel Arteta, a no football manager, should make decisions to generate goodwill from fans like if you're putting on a player who the fans love just to get some juice from the fans that's the wrong decision of right? course nobody you know wants I mean? their manager to do that right i don't think absolutely so i think we're agreed on that but how do we how do we start to rationalise what's going on with Willian here based on what we've seen from him as a player? Because I think the discussion now has to move beyond him, beyond his ineffectiveness as a starter. We know that. Yeah. He's not yeah. effective as a substitute, really. We know that. He doesn't give us anything at all. He, doesn't, he offers zero to this team when he plays, either as a starter or a substitute, right? So... Mm. What is it about this particular Willian Hill that Mikel Arteta appears to be willing to die on? Because I'm, I'm really, this is on him now. This is on Mikel Arteta now. It's no longer a case that we can talk about Willian and say, well, he's rubbish. Let's get angry at Willian. You can't keep getting angry at Willian because he's not picking himself, despite all the evidence. Like, if we had a striker who started 16 games, and didn't score, mm. and then got thrown on as a substitute for five or six or seven games, and didn't score. The issue is no longer with a striker who's not very good. It's with the striker who is not very good being given chance after chance after chance. 
Well, indeed. And in situations where, as we've already said, there were other players on the bench who you might have turned to. It's not the yeah. case that uh, William was the only attacking player I had available to me. Um, I, I don't know, is the honest answer. I would be guessing at the kind of psychology behind the decision. And it does feel as if Arteta is kind of throwing... Throwing Willian out against the wall, you know, in different positions on the pitch, hoping that eventually one <laughs> sticks, you know, it does feel like that. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you've nicely modified that particular analogy. Um, but yeah, but, but I, 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 yeah it, it, it's, it is strange. And I, I do wonder how much of it is kind of, and this is pure speculation on my part, but a sense of, well, you know, I lobbied for this and I've got to make it work. Mm. I don't know. But it's beginning to feel that way, isn't it? It is a little. It is a little. And, you know, it just, it's the wrong decision. It's not yeah. a decision that's being made for for the good of the team, if that is the case. If it is, you know, a, a desperation trying to justify the deal and the salary and the, the duration of the deal or anything else, that's really bad. It's really mm-hmm. Poor because you know, like you say, there were options. We could have brought Sabios on for Partey, um, and sort of kept that that shape that was working pretty well. You then have uh, you have Saka, you've got Pepe, you've got Odegaard, you've got Smith Rowe, you've got Aubameyang, and you've got Sabios who who um, you know is a reasonably decent passer, particularly in the context of a game like that where you know we're playing a lot of the game in their half. You know he is. He is capable of making some some decent passes. So, yeah. uh, the other option, of course, Martinelli. Martinelli could have come on, and whether you could have played him closer to Aubameyang, whatever it might have been, you know, at least like we go back to the goodwill thing. I think people would have been more understanding of that decision than they are um, when they see a player coming on who who literally makes my heart sink every time I see him on the pitch. Yeah, it, it is It is a weird one. And like I say, I don't want Arteta to do what I want him to do. I want him, you know, I think weirdly, when he started trying to please people, it felt to me, it's when he sort of lost control of this team. Mm. Um, and maybe he's kind of saying, well, I've learned my lesson here. I'm, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to my guns and mm. I believe in Willian. I mean, there's a component, obviously, we don't know, which is how this player trains you know what he brings to the group outside of the games but within the games it's very difficult to understand it really is well i mean look i'll say this if willian was a 20 year old 21 year old kid who'd come through the academy and had produced those kind of performances i think the decision would have been made quite a bit sooner mm-hmm. and that player probably wouldn't be in the squad for games. I I agree, but I mean the logical counterargument to that is that player would have if they were 21 they'd have sort of no pedigree of having performed previously. So there'd be no reason to believe they might find form again. If you see what I mean. Sure, I understand. But I understand. In, in the case of Willian, I guess Arteta must still believe that player who played for Chelsea is in there. He must. Otherwise, what he's doing is insanity. Mm. And he could be re- he could be wrong about that. He could be wrong for sure. Like it may be that he's in an inexorable de- decline. Yeah. Look, it, it's it's impossible to be absolutely definitive when it comes to players 
because you can write they a guy off you. Yeah, and yeah. like all of a sudden you know we've had examples of that at Arsenal in the past where you think well this guy's toast for whatever yeah. reason various circumstances this guy gives us nothing whatsoever um three times a season with Granite Shaka <laughs> that's what we do but you know I, I, the overwhelming evidence based on what we've seen from Willian in an Arsenal shirt is that he's fucking finished now mm. he could score in the next game and people will replay this at me but like that is not an unreasonable position to take based on the performances that we have seen from him, you know? So yeah. I, I don't, I just don't understand. Like the, the, the improvements in this team have come from moving away from players like Willian. Mm. You know, the, the young, hungry, motivated players have made a difference. In some ways, they've kick-started the season again. So there's a, there's, there's a lesson there, I think. I, I, yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying, but then I suppose when, when those changes were being made, or certainly back in the autumn, everyone was saying, we've got to get Willian and Lacazette out of this team. And then circumstances changed enough that for a period at least, Lacazette from nowhere and seemingly being over the hill and having nothing made a pretty valuable contribution mm. alongside some of those other players. So Arteta must think something is po- similar is possible with Willian. That, that, that is the only reason. He, he can't be self-sabotaging here. Um, but I, I, listen, I, I, it feels unlikely, doesn't it? It mm. really feels unlikely. Yeah. yeah, it does. And I don't know... You know, with every time he comes on and does nothing, it becomes increasingly difficult to to justify using that player because it becomes. I don't know what it is. I just I just don't get it. I don't. Care. Sometimes it just doesn't work between yeah. a player and a club and a coach, and yeah. the fit isn't right. And when you're halfway through a season and there's been so few kind of signs of progress or adaptation, mm. it's very difficult to escape the feeling that this is one of those. Mm. Well, look, the less said about William for the rest of this season, the better, uh, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. I hope, you know, that there are lessons to be learned from from things like this because, you know, that switch, I'm not saying it completely derailed us, but it certainly had a negative impact. I think it's also worth pointing out, in fairness, that the departure of Thomas Partey was a factor too. It wasn't simply William coming on and coming on in the wrong position, even though it was it was there. I think the loss of Partey was a was a, a part of that as well. Are you worried about that? Yeah. About yeah. I, I'm pretty worried about that. Somebody, we had a question. Uh, it was on the Discord, so I'll just uh, read it out here as we come to okay. the end of part one. It was like uh, from Gunnar Dobbs, who says, "Did Partey have an injury history at Atleti, or are we just self-destructive?" And I thought, well, he must have had. He must have had. Like in all mm. the time he played for Atletico Madrid, in that in that team, the way that they play and the physical demands with which you, you're expected to perform for Atletico Madrid under Diego Simeone, I'm going, he must have had some mm. kind of injury, you know, spell here and there. And I wondered, like, you know, it feels to us like he's been missing a lot of games, which of course he has, but it, the schedule also contributes to that, doesn't it? Like, you can miss a lot of games right now with a three-week injury. 
True. Whereas previously you might miss three games. Now you're missing six, seven games because of the way that the fixtures are running. I was going, he must have had some. Here's his injury record. In the 2015-16 season, he spent 24 days out with a hamstring strain. Mm-hmm. And in the 1920 season, he spent five days out with a hamstring injury. He missed <laughs> five games in that first spell and one game in that second spell. And that's it. That is it. And with Arsenal, he has missed 10 games so far with his injury that he picked up, um, you know, against Villa that first time and which was made worse against the Spurs. So he's missed 10 games, maybe more, you know, in a really short period of time. And and maybe there's reasons for it. You know, preseason, this this particular season, uh, the schedule, all of that, you know, moving uh, to a new country, training. I don't know what... But it's, yeah, it is worrying, isn't it? It is worrying. It is worrying, for sure. Like, when you spend that much on a player, and, you know, I think we're all kind of a little bit in love with the player and how good he's been yeah. when he's been on the pitch. Um, but has he, he's not been on the pitch enough, really. And, you know, let's hope that. Well, yeah, some of that is down to us. Some of that is very clearly down to us, and maybe him to an extent as well, in that. You know, he, he, he's joined a new club. He's desperate to play. He, he wants to contribute. You know, the, the, the decision-making when it came to including him for the team for the North London Derby, it had to include him as well, right? Mm-hmm. There had to be some measure of, of um, your input from Thomas Partey himself. Like, are you fit? How does your leg feel? How does your hamstring feel or whatever, uh, your hip or whatever the the issue was? Do you think you can play? And he's obviously said yes to that. And I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying that this is a multifaceted or multi-layered thing. But, you know, we, we took a big risk and fucked it up. And the, the, the best thing to do would have been to give him more time to, to, to get better you know it feels like we're still playing for that a little bit yeah um and and actually you know you're right to point out the lack of preseason, and he's not gonna you know we might not see a fully fit parte until next season um just you know i think in, in terms of pure uh rehab and how much he's able to achieve between now and the end of the season i'd, I'd have concerns about that but mm. Yeah, it's funny, you know, like he has been brilliant. But then I look at Partey and I look at Tierney and I look at two of our most important players and I'm sort of, I feel like, can we can we guarantee they're going to be fit at the moment? I don't mm, know. I don't know. We shall see. We shall see. Well, look, there's a week off now between, uh, you know, the... A long the time, that feels, in the in the current schedule. Does, I do wonder if we might need it, though, just to sort of get everyone together on the training ground and, and you know, work on a few things and get yeah. some get some legs, um, get the batteries recharged and get the physios out and everything else. So, um, yeah, maybe we need it. But, you know, big response needed now against Leeds, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, like I say... I'm not sort of too... I mean, I, I was... Don't get me wrong. I was really disappointed and frustrated to lose to Aston Villa. Yeah. But I'm still just about able to sort of, you know, compartmentalise it and rationalise it and put it in perspective. I think if we lose to Leeds, that will all go out the window very quickly indeed. Well, you know, it's a big, big week. You know, from, from Leeds onwards, we've got Leeds... Um, Benfica. Benfica, then Man City, then Benfica again, then Leicester. Then Leicester. You know, so that's a that's a huge 
That's a huge kind of uh, important part of, of what's coming up in, in this season. Like, you look at the way City are going, and it's like, oh, fuck. It That's could end like, our season, right? to be honest, yeah, this period. It could. It could. If we you go know. out of the Europa League and lose those league games, mm. it's very, very difficult to find something competitive to play for in this season. Yeah, for sure. So we need we need results, obviously. You know, in a knockout competition, it's different. But I think, you know, as as tough as it's going to be, and I don't hold out, hold out a great deal of hope for it, we, we just have to go game by game in Premier League and see what happens and, and see where we end up. And if we can, you know, if we can get a little run together, then then good. But, you know... It is about getting on top of these fine margins and, um, you know, not making the kind of mistakes which have been so costly in the last couple of games, you know. Mm. And when it boils right down to it, we've had two lapses in concentration at the start of one game, uh, just before the halftime in another game, that I think without those, we have a much better chance of coming away from uh, from those games with something positive. So, um yeah, I mean, on the one hand, you could say you can see a way in which we could improve relatively easily is not the right word, but you can see how it doesn't necessarily take fucking tactical Einstein to, to make improvements, right? Um, sure. At the same time, though, how hardwired is this into the DNA of this team and these players that they keep making those mistakes? Yes, that is the concern. Mm. But listen, it, it's a huge period. And uh, I, I mean, I don't want to just be a downer and say it could end our season. It could breathe some life into yeah, it too. Yeah, for sure. So, for sure. Yeah. Okay, well, fingers crossed. All right, let's take a little break here. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello. Uh, oh, no, I already did that bit, didn't I? Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two, where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnerBlog, and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Uh, yeah, it was a difficult weekend for us, James, but I did enjoy 
I did enjoy the weird Jamie Carragher noise. Oh, so did I. I've got it. There were a couple, actually. I, but well, yeah, I know the one you mean. David Silver roll more central. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand. Oh, it's Tarzan. It's very Tarzan. That's what it was reminding me of, all right, yeah. Holy shit. It's Jamie Carragher swinging down from the gantry at Anfield to try and stop Phil Foden scoring a goal. He's good, um, isn't he? Phil Foden, fuck. Yeah, he is good. He is good. I mean... What what is this crazy thing that Guardiola has done in that he has introduced no a young player slowly <laughs> with some kind of measure to 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 allow him to flourish when he is being given regular first team football because there was a lot of I, if I remember a year, 18 months ago, a lot of talk about, well, like, why isn't he playing every week? Because he's really good. Oh, Everyone can see he's really people good. People furious, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it's great management. I really do. I mean, listen, it, it's easy when you've got Kevin De Bruyne and yeah, David Silver and yeah. all those guys. It's a sort of luxury position to be in, but mm. it looks like he paced Foden's development pretty well. I mean, who knows? Maybe if Foden was playing every game two years ago, he'd mm. be even further ahead by now, but... I think it mitigates against the risk of burnout. Uh, it's kept him really motivated. Yeah, he look, he's, I mean, he's a hell of a talent. He's yeah. a hell of a talent. Let's start with this one from the Discord. It comes from Mr. C.J. Wright, who says, Morning, gents. How much is a new right-back a priority in the summer? Bellerin is a fine option if he wasn't the best-slash-only choice. His technical uh, and athletic ability doesn't seem to be there at all, and his awareness to support his right winger is worrying. There was a moment where he played the ball to Pepe, then ran into his space, um, which I think there was a video doing the rounds of that. It wasn't particularly smart uh, from Hector. But, I mean, just sort of general conversation on the right-back situation. Um, Mm. Yeah, I'll get your thoughts on this first before I weigh in. People don't like Expellerin, do they? I, I think, <laughs> yeah, the, the, look, I think... It never really went away, all the get-a-haircut stuff. It just changed. It morphed into a tactical discussion. I, I think there are people out there who absolutely um, refuse to see anything he does as positive, or even when he plays pretty well, there are people talking about how dreadful he is. I, you know... I will admit, perhaps, to having some slightly rose-tinted glasses when it comes to Bellerin. Uh, I, li- I like him. Um, I-, I liked what I thought he could become as a player. Uh, and I do think that he is being asked to play in a way that maybe isn't what people want from a right-back, if you know what I mean. Because he spent most yeah. of the second half in midfield. And I don't think... That's like, it's not like giving, you know, uh, a playmaker a free role. You just go and do what you like, you know, get on the ball and make things tick. I mean, that's what he's being asked to do. So, 100%. And you know, I do feel like he's partly being criticised for a job he's being asked to do. Um, you know, playing more narrow, like you say, playing midfield, driving into inside channels mm. instead of providing an overlap. That is all clearly instruction. Uh, mm. I, I, that much is clear. And if you have ever watched, you know, Guardiola's teams that Arteta worked on, that was a feature of their play. And it wasn't really a massive feature of Bellerin's play at all prior to Arteta's arrival. Um, mm. So I think that is sort of not on him. I think there are things in his game that he could improve on. I, I don't think he's quite become the player 
that I hoped he would. And I think yep. injuries played a part in that, certainly. He's had a couple of really big injuries. He had the ankle and then the ACL. Um, and I think that set him back. I also think, this might sound a strange thing to say, but like there was a point where he could have maybe left Arsenal and it didn't happen and he might have gone on to another club and that might have accelerated his development. But, uh, you know, I, I think he's... I personally think he's still a, a much better right-back than Cedric. I really do believe that. Um, do I think it'd be the worst thing for him to sit out a couple of games and feel that competition and have to win his place? No. I think part of the problem for Bellerin is that he's been quite clearly first choice for quite a long time. Mm. Uh, and maybe that's a bit of an issue. Um I think I think you could have a very different type of right back there. You could have someone who's more physical, maybe more powerful, someone who mm. is more productive in the final third. Um, there are a lot of things. You, you could change it. but uh, And I think maybe Arsenal will. I mean, I do feel like we might be approaching a kind of natural breaking point simply because he's been here a long time. He might want something different. There was talk of PSG last year. Uh, I think if someone came back in at a good price, maybe the club would sort of d- decide, you know what? We've done really well out of Hector Bellerin. Here's an opportunity to make some money, maybe one of the last opportunities, and we go with the next guy. But I don't... His performances don't infuriate me in the way they seem to some others. I Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree right. with that. All of it. I don't really have <clears throat> a great deal to add, really, in terms of, of, of where we are with him. But I do feel like if right now you said to me... I'm going to give you a, an upgrade on Hector Bellerin. I'd take it. I definitely would. I mean, there I'm are the many same with- players in the team. I wouldn't say that about. No, no, for sure. Um, but well, like- actually, I'd say it about any. Like if they were legitimately an upgrade, yeah, yeah, I'd yeah, say yeah. it about any player. Sure, uh, sure. Um, and I, I, yeah, and I do think. I mean, how old is Bellerin? He's, he's like twenty-five now. He's still only twenty-five. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah, um, been around a long time, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, there are parts of his game that I think make him suited to what Arteta wants. I mean, I think he has the technical ability to play mm. in that midfield space. Um, but I, uh, what are people's main issues with him? Defensive, on the defensive side? I think so. And I think the, the final ball, you know, the decision-making yeah. in the final third, I just feel like sometimes... Like, he had a good shot, actually. Martinez made a good save. And I think, you know, he did make a chance for Pepe in the last game. And I think he yeah. maybe created a chance in this game as well. It just feels to me like sometimes he's a guy who who hits a football about 60% or 70% of what you would want from a player in those positions. There's not quite enough fizz or power or decisiveness to to the final ball yeah he doesn't hit the ball great with his laces for a start Mm. you know a side foot pass along the ground he's okay but he doesn't have he doesn't often play the kind of Kieran Tierney loops ball up the line he doesn't swing in across like that certainly from the right hand side Um, and yeah I think his striking the ball when he's shooting isn't 
isn't amazing. I mean, I do wonder if like some of this is kind of a consequence of a player who's always been about five yards quicker than everyone around him going up, you know, through the academies mm. and as a kid. You know, is it slightly that Theo Walcott thing of like, well, I'll get in the position enough times so yeah, I don't yeah, yeah. have to be ultra efficient. And maybe now he's not quite as quick as he was and we see that a little bit mm. exposed. Um, it, it's an interesting one because the fullback positions are just so important, aren't they? I yeah. mean, in the modern... Premier League, it's huge. And we've seen what Kieran Tierney can give us on the left-hand side. We're even talking about Bukai Saka as an option there now. Uh, you look at our supposed competitors, the teams above us, the fullbacks are often the key players. So it will be interesting what Mikel Arteta decides to do about that. Um, like I say, I, I, I couldn't say with confidence that Bellerin's here in the long, long term. I just think that... There have been so many summers which have come and gone where there's been the possibility of a move. And I do think, I just get the sense from him, he'll be someone who will want to explore mm. that eventually. Mm. Yep. And and if Arsenal can replace him with a, you know, a, a very promising player, then that'd be great. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, 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 whatever people might think of Bellerin, I think Cedric should be back up. That's who he yeah. is. He shouldn't be yeah. the starting right back. Even if you think Bellerin shouldn't be the starting right back for Arsenal, there's no way Cedric should be. Not over the course of a season, you know. So, um, but I guess what Cedric enables you to do is, if you do sell Bellerin, you can bring somebody in, and if you need to give them a few weeks or whatever it is yeah, to yeah. Kind of acclimatize, you've got someone experienced. Yeah, sure. I mean, you need a, you game. need cover. You need backup in every position, and that's that's yeah. what he is for the right back position for me. He can so. be a kind of bridge, but mm. yeah, it'll be interesting to see in the summer because Bellerin's being asked to do to play a certain way, and maybe there'll be somebody better suited. Mm. Right, shall we have another question? Sure. Okay, this is from Peter Host, and Peter says, Morning, gents. What's your view on the refs and VAR are biased against Arsenal agenda? Mm. Um, that like they I... are, and that <laughs> is a fact. And that's it. There's no question <laughs> about it. Um, look, Why is it a red card, eh? That can't just be coincidence. Never thought of that. Mind blown. Um, <laughs> let me say, look. I don't think there is a vast anti-Arsenal refereeing conspiracy or anything like that. You know? Um, are you sure? I, Andrew, are you sure though? Are you sure? Yeah. That they don't all have a meeting. Yeah. They've all got cloaked hoods on. Do you know what I mean? They all sit round and they go, we will destroy the Arsenal. Yeah. The, the refanon or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't think there is a conspiracy. I think what VAR... What about the and- vaccine? What do you think about the vaccine? Don't start. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think we're seeing bad decisions across the Premier League. They feel especially acute to us as Arsenal fans, maybe because we're involved in quite a lot of them. You know, and in some ways, you know, I do think we are... Um, we could manage certain situations better which don't give referees the the decision to make. You know what I mean? Of course. Um, do do I, I really do understand why some fans get frustrated by 
the refereeing decisions. You know, I, I'm I'm not uh, going to try and blame uh, our performances this season or our defeats on on referees, but I do understand why when you see, for example, the the foul on Salah, and that's not given as a red card. Mm-hmm. You know, not that it was a fucking foul in the first place, but you know, it seems like different incidents are judged differently from game to game. I'm not going to say just for one team or any other, you know, certain teams get away with more or what have you. But there is just a vast inconsistency in decision-making, in the officiating across the Premier League. And, you know, we're hyper-focused and laser-focused on what happens to to Arsenal and Arsenal players. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um. And I think sometimes as well, we are an easy team to give decisions against. What do you mean by that? I feel like the perception of us as a team... clown car. Is, yeah, in some ways. Or that we're soft. Or that we... Like, there's a question here from Team Talk KT on the Discord. He says, should Arsenal be more astute in employing the, in employing the dark arts of football, going down easily, pressuring referees, etc.? We've tried this nice approach for years, and it's getting us nowhere. The top teams and managers all have that edge in them. I, for one, am disappointed that Arteta hasn't been more public in raising our perceived injustices, something I think all top managers do. And I think there's, a, like, a weird line to draw there between, like... You know, uh, you know, a manager deflecting uh, from his own team's performances, bad performances, and putting them on referees and what have you, and just maybe being a bit more strident. I mean, I think Arteta was straight over to the referee after the game, and I can kind of understand why, because I'm not sure. Did we mention the 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 incident with Lacazette and Martinez? I don't think. No, we did. I had a question about it actually, but yeah, yeah. By all means, let's chat about that. I mean, it's a penalty. Yeah, it's a penalty all day fucking long. It's a penalty. You look at what, you know, again, let's use the Salah one. Like the guy uh, touches Salah on the shoulder. There's maybe the slightest. Like if you were measuring from one to 100% in terms of uh, a tug, this is like 0.005 of a tug on his arm. He goes down, penalty. Mm-hmm. Martinez has basically hauled Lacazette to the ground and it's not a penalty. So I understand why people get frustrated and wonder why it is that some teams get decisions and Arsenal never do. I, I get it. Yeah. I think that's perspective, isn't it? I think mm. it's um, that we see everything through the prism of our Arsenal experience. Let me tell you, there are bad decisions happening all over this league. Uh, or decisions, let's say, that when ha- they have the scrutiny of the technology applied to them are questionable. Mm-hmm. And I think that the tech is amplifying the mm. conversation that's happening around these decisions. I mean, I've been watching... My wife went away to work for the weekend, and so I watched almost all the Premier League football, which I don't usually do. Mm-hmm. I usually watch Arsenal and then have a life or do something else. But... <laughs> I, I watched um, most of the Premier League games. Almost the entirety of the halftime and post-match punditry was about officiating decisions. It was incredible. Like, 
they are almost not talking about football at this point. Mm. And I just, what? I am so thoroughly sick of it. So what do you think, what do you think is the issue? Should, you know, should it be a case that we just accept that there are these inconsistencies or inadequacies in, in officiating? Um, should there be like a, a separate slot for this? Like, you know, in the punditry or whatever, like, let's say, no, <laughs> yeah. genuinely, genuinely, like on Monday night football, should there be like a 15 minute uh, roundup of Jamie Carragher noises? No, referees yeah. or refereeing decisions where whereby, like, I know people say, look, uh, Every team thinks referees are against them, blah, blah, blah. But but can you actually improve standards without some kind of constructive criticism or conversation about what what referees and officials are doing? Like, I don't mean, like, let's take 15 minutes to call this referee shit, this one shit, this one shit, but to actually discuss rationally in the cold light of day decisions that are being made which are having big influences on the outcomes of games and there are perceived or otherwise injustices in some of those decisions right so Mm. i i get people who say we shouldn't focus on referees or like it's boring to talk about referees and refereeing decisions and you know if you're a team that's lost a game the easiest thing in the world is to blame the referee or the linesman or whatever or var or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be i get it but it can't be a coincidence that in every game, the halftime punditry is focusing on referees. So why not make something more constructive from what we're seeing? Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, obviously, you always want people to, you always want the opportunity for kind of critical feedback and you want the referees to always be striving to improve. Um, I think my personal position on this is like, uh, for me, I, I can live with the errors. Like, I, I, I the current situation with the delay of VAR, the lack of certainty and clarity that VAR seems to provide, just, uh, you know, I know it provides a greater percentage degree of accuracy in decisions. You know, they feel like they get, you know, 99% right as opposed to 91 or, you know, I'm not quoting those numbers exactly. But mm. for me, it's not worth it. Like, I can live with the 9%. And for me, like, going on the train home from a football match and being a bit pissed off at the referee, that's just sort of part of but you, the But you, you can't put the genie back in the bottle now. You can't really... Because no, the, you the, can't, no. The, the, the video is still there. The HD, 4K, 8K, slow motion replays from 27 angles. Yeah, the lines I, aren't going away. Yeah. The so, offside line's not going away, you for know? sure. Um, so it is, a, it is a difficult one. So, you know, on that basis, it, shouldn't the focus be on improving standards or trying at least to to understand some of the, the thinking behind the decisions that we're seeing? Like the West Ham, I think Suchek just got his red card overturned. Right. Yeah. Right? So Mike Dean looked at that 100 times and still thought it was a red card, even with VAR. And now it's been overturned a day later or two well, he days didn't later. Give it a red initially. Right. Uh, he was called over to see a replay and then decided to give it a red. Right, okay. And, 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 and far be it for me to have sympathy with Mike Dean, but I do feel that referees are in awkward positions when 
they are asked to watch a replay. I do think it's very difficult. I mean, if anyone could do it, it's probably Mike Dean. But it's quite difficult to be like, I see what you're trying to get me to look at, but I still say no. I still feel like there's a bias towards the tech. If you're asked to look at something, I feel like nine times out of ten, they mm. give it. Yeah, do you know what I mean? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it, it is it is a mess at the moment. Mm. Like, And I think what you're saying about wanting to improve is right, but... Uh, the conversation about where the blame lies, you know, is it with the technology or is it with the decision makers themselves? The referee has almost been clouded, you know, and so it just feels like everyone's kind of pointing at each other and saying, well, yeah. it's not our problem. Well, what about the idea that Arsenal should be, you know, uh, a bit more cynical? Um, you know, I, on the yeah. one hand, I think if we start making all the cynical fouls, we're just going to get more and more cards because, <laughs> yeah. you know... Um, and I think it's something something Tim Stillman said a while back on uh, maybe on the Arsenal Vision podcast is that you know teams like Man City and Tottenham to an extent they kind of get away with more because they've always played in that way you know with that cynical rotational fouling like like Villa did like Villa got away with so much against mm-hmm. us on, on Saturday. I'm not saying, you know, there should have been all these sendings off, but there certainly should have been more yellow cards. Um, and I feel like, uh, I think Tim's point was that when you're a team like Arsenal and you start doing it, it becomes instantly more noticeable and you start getting yellow cards all over the place. Um, pressuring referees, etc., etc. I mean, what more can Lacazette do when a guy goes through the back of him other than, like, roll around on the ground? Remember we were saying last week about, you know, would Shaka have made more of the Fernandez rake down yeah, his yeah. leg? That guy came through the back of Lacazette. The referee saw it, waved kind of his arm as if, like, play on, play on, because we still had possession. And Lacazette is rolling on the ground, what more can he do as a player to highlight the fact that he has been fouled from behind by a player on a yellow card? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. And I think you're right. Like, there are some cynical aspects to Arsenal's play. I don't think we should pretend that we're whiter than white. I mean, we have introduced some of the the stopping counterattacks with fouls. You know, Bellerin's picked up a lot of bookings for that mm. season. Uh, I think Partey's picked up a couple already too. Shaka got one on. Shaka. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Saturday, you know, yeah, yeah. we weren't doing that a while ago and we are at least doing that. I still think, yeah, maybe the other side of it needs to be looked at. Mm. On, on the broader subject of referee bias, I think maybe partly where it comes from is I, I do feel, and maybe I was just sort of younger and more naive then, but I do feel that around the kind of Eduardo, Aaron Ramsey period, I do think there was a perception of Arsenal that that influenced how games were refereed. Um, maybe the Reyes situation plays into that as well with you know, the Manchester United game. It just felt like you could kick Arsenal in a way that you couldn't maybe get away with kicking other people. Mm. And I know I'm an Arsenal fan and that may be a sort of intrinsic bias, but I do feel that the characterisation of the team, as you were saying about Spurs and Man City, you know, Arsenal was seen as weak and mm. vulnerable and physically frail. And therefore, the lines got a bit blurred, I think. And so I do wonder if some of our sense of injustice and this sense of there being a conspiracy might stem historically from that period. Yeah. Um, when I think, you know, I genuinely think there was a bit of an issue in the way that team was kind of roughed up. Mm. Anyhow, it's yeah. an interesting topic. It is. Um, it is. I mean, that is that is the, the, the thing. It is... 
an interesting enough topic, despite the fact that nobody, or I think most people would prefer never to have to talk about referees, we can't not. No, and you're right that the genie's not going back in the bottle. I mean, mm. I, you know, even if, I, if even if it was up to me and I was like, you know, the czar of football, mm. would I completely get rid of VAR? I think it's very difficult now to go back on something like offside decisions, mm. you know? Because at least the, the thing is, like, people get really angry about the offsides and how absurd they are. And, you know, his toe was half a millimetre offside. And look, I don't love that personally, but at least it's objective. Do you know what I mean? Mm. At least it's a fact. It is or it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with these other incidents where we're seeing replays and judgments being made, you know, there is that degree of interpretation. And that's where I think you're seeing that the technology ultimately doesn't solve the problem. Yeah. Okay. Um, Here's a question. Oh, I've got oh, one got here. One. Yeah. Go. From James Morgan, who's at Mullet Rider, who says, would you say the defensive errors and indiscipline are a feature of the Arteta era or something it is currently getting rather harshly punished by fortune and by officials? I think it's a feature of Arsenal. It goes beyond <laughs> Arteta. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's been part of our game for a long time. Um, some of that's to do with personnel. Um, I guess the other issues might be sort of tactical or mentality. Hmm. Do I think it's a feature of Arteta? Uh, the settings off are. I mean, you know, as we said last week, you can kind of individually go through them all and justify them, but it doesn't change the fact that when mm. you stand back and look at it, he's had twice as many settings off as the next manager in that period. Three times. Um, three times, right. Mm. So you can't really set that aside, can you? No. Uh, and what do you think? I think it is a bit of a feature. Um, like, I don't think... It's a difficult one, you know. I think it's more to do with carelessness and concentration than being completely ill-disciplined. My voice is gone. Hang on. You talk. I'm going to get a drink of water. Okay. Um, go and get a drink of water. I Yeah, I, I feel like some of the problems I'll test is having with discipline and mistakes. Andrew's never going to hear this, so I could just say whatever I want. I could just say. No, I'm, I'm right here. I just, turned, oh. <laughs> I just turned the mic down while I got the bottle of water beside me. I thought you'd gone away. I was going to go on no, some no, long no, monologue no. about elephants or I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, is it, is, it, is it the case that they're adapting still to what Arteta is asking of them and there's mm. sort of a friction in that and it's creating some of these errors? I don't know. Yeah, look, I think... Um I think some of the players involved are just predisposed to to making errors. Um, yeah. You know, someone like David Luiz, I think he's he's reaching the end of his career. His legs aren't what they were and he's being exposed. So mm -hmm. it comes down to making the decision, uh, how much can you risk playing someone like him? You know, Xhaka, moment of madness, not atypical for him. Yeah. The Pepe one was. That's not really what we've seen from him. Um, but, I mean, I remember someone like Gervinho. Do you remember Gervinho got sent off? Was it Joey Barton? Yeah. Sort of lured him into Newcastle. some kind of... Yeah, like, is Gervinho a hard guy? No. But, you know, he, he was just drawn into a moment of stupidity the same way Pepe was. So, yeah, some of it is out, out of the manager's hands. But I think it's it's certainly an issue he has to get on top of. 
because I assume the man, I assume the players are still being sort of internally disciplined for incidents like yeah, that. Yeah, I guess so. There must be like a fine for a red yeah. card or whatever it is. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, there must be. I mean, mm. I, I always wonder with footballers how much does a fine matter? You know mm. what I mean? Depends how much it is, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, let's have this question from Piers Moyles. Um, what a combo! Were, thought you were going in a different direction. The love there, child the first, of Piers yeah. Morgan and Chris Moyles. Wow. Um, Sorry, Pierce, that was below the belt. Morning, guys. Is Martinelli carrying an injury or is something else going on? I thought he would have made the perfect sub against Wolves with his energy and pressing, and again mm. against Villa with his directness against a tiring defence. Seems odd to not use him at all. And we haven't seen him since we, have we, since he was uh, withdrawn against United at half time? Yeah. That feels like ages ago, but what is it, a week and a half or something? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like but a little you, bit odd that he didn't get on against Villa. I thought. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if I was putting a, another attacking player on against Villa, it would have been Martinelli. It would not have been Willian, as anyone who's listened to the first half of the show knows. Is it a bit strange? Yes, I think so. Um, I don't know if he is a bit injured, but he was on the bench, certainly capable of doing fifteen minutes against Villa. Um, yeah, I mean, we had another question actually on on Martinelli. I don't know what you think about this. Um, do do do, and I know you wrote about this to an extent um, mm. because you wrote something about the strikers. Let me see if I can find this one. It comes from uh, Cahil Kieran's, who's at Lord Akil or Lord Cahil. Sorry, who says, "What will it take for Arteta to give Martinelli a run at striker with the good players behind him? We all see a little bit of Suarez slash Sanchez in him. I think his pressing and tenacity is a waste on the left slash the bench. It's definitely a, a, a waste on the bench. Um, so yeah, what what do you make of the idea that he could be a centre forward? Um, in this, I like that idea. Team? You like it, yeah." Yeah, I mean, as you say, I kind of wrote about this at, at the weekend, but I, I do have the sense that <clears throat> now I need the water. What's going on, Andrew? I don't know. Uh, I, uh, I have the sense that Arteta is asking things of his centre forwards that kind of aren't, neither of them are particularly suited to. So I feel like Lacazette is getting the game time because he's kind of, he does the best impression of the kind of centre-forward Arteta mm. seems to want. You know, he can do some of that defensive work. He can do some of the, that hold-up play. You know, he can link the play a bit. But is it really his strong suit? I'm not sure. I think he's sort of doing the job, mm. but I'm not sure it's who he is. Do you know what he I mean? Was, he was very deep against Villa a bit too often for my liking. Mm, mm. Maybe yeah, again, I mean, maybe it was instruction, but... Who knows if that's Arteta's liking, exactly, mm. yeah. But I, I had the same the same kind of takeaway from mm. that. As for Aubameyang, uh, I mean, he's not he's not starting at the moment. Uh, you know, Arteta said he wanted to give the guys who had the good first half against Wolves another go. I think that even though he has played him a bit there centrally, mm. I'm not... Com and, and I think that might be the right thing to do. Um, I'm not convinced that's Arteta's perfect model of a centre-forward. I just think we would have seen it more if that mm. was the case. So I, I, I do think, weirdly, of the strikers we have, if you're looking at it in pure attributes terms, I think Martinelli is kind of the best fit. But, and I might be wrong about this, I don't remember... Arteta using him as a centre-forward. 
He played there under Emery in the sort of Europa League group stages mm. and the League Cup and did exceptionally well. But I seem to recall that under Arteta, he's almost always played wide. Mm. Do you do you remember anything to the contrary of that? Not really, because, you know, we didn't... I mean, he's been injured. Yeah, he's been injured. And then, you know, when Arteta took over, we didn't have the 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 sort of Europa League group stage games exactly. and the Carabao Cup games, you know, to try that kind of an experiment. And he's had Aubameyang, he's had Lacazette um, for those positions. So I, I think it's an interesting one. I think in time, that's probably where he is going to, to end up because he's so good and his movement is so good in, in the penalty area. He's good in the air. He's good at arriving. Mm-hmm. Um as for what's going on and why he's not in the team, like I don't think it's a case that Arteta doesn't rate him because he's always talked really highly about his potential. I, I just, you know, maybe there's there's parallels with the with with Arteta's apparent reluctance to rely too heavily on youth. Like, I wonder, for example, if you had, let's say, a more experienced option playing where Smith Rowe is playing, would he be more inclined to use Martinelli? Is it about the balance of youth slash experience that he has in his team? Like, Martinelli might be one player too many. I'm not saying that's not something I would have an issue with. Again, you know... I'd have liked to see him get a run against Villa. I also think he slightly views Aubameyang and Martinelli as kind of of a of a type, of a similar type, and mm. he's not in a hurry to play them together. Um, I hope he he really believes in Martinelli. Mm. I've never been. I wasn't initially convinced of that, I have to say. Like, I thought he would have started more games last season when he was fit under Arteta than he actually ended up starting. I agree he's always been really positive in what he says about him. Um, But, of course, actions speak louder than words on that front. I think he almost couldn't resist him when he came back from injury a few weeks ago Mm. because he was just irrepressible, right? And he, you know, before... Emil Smith-Rowe before Bukayo Saka's explosion of form on the right-hand side. Martinelli was the first person to kind of give this team the the kiss of life, as it were, I thought. Mm. Um, And then obviously, you know, he's sort of suffered a bit with... A couple of injuries, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. But uh, I, I wonder if there's a bit of that kind of brinkmanship going on that seems to happen a bit with Arteta, where he does like a player, he does like their talent, but... They got to do it his way, and they got to buy into his ideas, and they got to fulfil his. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that, that I mean, kind of Nicola was, Pepe thing. Maybe, was it or, you who said if that it was in clever, the United yes. game? Yeah, of course. <laughs> but in the United game, they were shouting at him a lot to be higher oh, yeah. up the pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So you know, his maybe trying to balance his desire um, to to be involved with what he wants from the player from a tactical perspective that said you know where where I'm not sure how that applies to a situation where you're 1-0 down away from home at Villa Park and you you're putting a guy on to basically you know give you an extra attacking option make something happen in the box yeah yeah I know exactly what you mean and as we said in part one I would rather have hit 
come on than than Willian certainly. Mm. Um, it's an interesting one to keep an eye on, and mm. I, and I think the centre forward position generally is a really interesting discussion. Personally, I think it's something Arsenal need to address in the summer. I are think you they... are you worried about Aubameyang? Oh, certainly. How can you not be? Mm. You know, how can you not be with? Um, the numbers this season being what they are just in terms of his productivity. I know there've been signs of improvement, um, but the fact that he's not come straight back into the starting 11, I think that's, that tells you something, doesn't it? Mm. You know, it, it, it says, well, this guy's not undroppable or, or not absolutely essential right now, which is some fall from where he was last yeah. season. I mean, I know there are there there are certainly external factors and external Definitely. elements to what's gone on with with him this season. But you know, if we're talking about a lack of ruthlessness slash efficiency in the final third and needing to score more goals, striker is kind of the first position you look at, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And like I say, I'm not sure we have mm. kind of the. Uh, the square peg for the square hole, as it were, that mm. Arteta seems to be building in this team. And, you know, Lacazette's long-term future, I think, is probably elsewhere. Mm. And, and I suppose what, what you'd have to say about Aubameyang, you know, am I worried about him? I did think yesterday, if someone came in in the summer and said, here's a chunk of change for Aubameyang, I mean, I, I personally would absolutely take it. Um, which... You know, it just tells you a bit about where he kind of sits in my thoughts. I don't know how likely that is, to be honest. Unlikely, I'd say. I'd say in the sense that, you know, if we're selling a striker in the summer, it's, it's, uh, like, like I said, set. yeah. yeah. You and know, maybe and I, Ketia. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's fine with me as well. Um, you know, if you want to repurpose Martinelli as a centre forward and you go out and you buy another striker in there, then fine. I'm good with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think... I don't think... I'm I mean, Nketiah hasn't made the bench for the last couple of games. Yeah, I know. I mean, he must be chuffed with that. Um, especially with the January transfer window having closed. But what I was going to say was, I don't think Ollie Watkins is like a world-class player. You know, I'm not even sure he's an England player. I'm not saying that. But he is a very dynamic forward who mm. does a bit of everything. And I, I, I'm not saying he is the guy, but I do feel that when I look at Arteta and the way he sets his teams up, I feel like that's sort of what he wants. And although Lacazette and Aubameyang both have their strengths, they're not really all-rounders mm. in that way. Um, and Martinelli is the closest we have to that. I really believe that. Yeah. Uh, so I would love to see it, but I'm not especially optimistic about seeing it. Okay. Um, I had a question, by the way. Okay. Is that all right? Of course. Uh, just because the Reece, uh, the Eddie and Ketia thing reminded me of it, and Kareem on Twitter at Gunner Kareem says, "Has Reese Nelson been killed in inverted commas by Willian?" And then he says, "Should Nelson get Willian's bench spot?" I mean, I do feel for Reese Nelson having not got his loan move again. Yeah, it strikes me that there's more to the Reese Nelson situation than we're aware of. Perhaps I don't know. You know. Um... I think they wanted him to go on loan in the summer and it didn't happen and, and he said he was going to stay and fight for his place. I think he's now wasting... No, that's wrong. I shouldn't say that. I think this part of the season is going to be essentially a waste for him 
Do you know what I mean? Because he hasn't mm-hmm. gone out on loan. I think he should have gone on loan. Maybe there wasn't an attractive option for him, but surely there was somewhere that he could have gone and played regular football. You know, mm. maybe mm. he had to. Maybe he would have had to take a step down to the championship. But would he not be better playing fifteen, sixteen, twenty games for a for a team than scoring a free kick for the Arsenal under twenty threes? Good free kick too. Nice to see it. But what's he doing? Yeah, he playing under twenty three football. Level. You know, so. It's a backward step, really. It is. It is. And, like, I feel for him as well. I feel for him because, you know, uh, he could... He must be sick watching Joe Willock, by the way. Yeah, I mean, well done. Yeah, well done, Joe Willock. Like, great goal and had a good game, I thought. I watched that game the other day. I thought he played pretty well, you know, in in Mm. difficult circumstances for Newcastle. But, like, Reese Nelson could do just as much nothing as Willian. If that's where we're setting the bar, do you know? Yeah. I mean, and I, yeah. don't, I don't mean to be smart there. I feel no, he's I, produced I feel more for good performances this season than we yeah. have. So I feel for him in that regard, but I also feel like there's more to that situation than than we're aware of. Like he was a guy who was in the team when Mikel Arteta first took over, ahead of Pepe, started a few games on the right hand side in the Premier League, and people were saying, "Well, that's you know, he gives the team the discipline that Arteta wants in that position, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And it's been a very slow, well, maybe not that slow, but it's been a fairly gradual fall from from grace. So I wonder mm. if there's more to that situation than, than we're aware of. And I think it's, I don't know if he's been badly advised. I don't know if it's his own desire to stay and fight for a place and work his way back into things. But I, I think he's going to waste the rest of this season. I think it's a shame for him. As a player, he should be playing at his age, even if it is, you know, you, he might consider the uh, the championship a step down, but then so too is playing for the under-23s now and again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it's interesting because he's part of the, the same agency as Eddie Nketiah and uh, Balogun. And Bukayo Saka. And Bukayo Saka. And, and historically, it's an, an agency with really strong links to Arsenal, really strong mm. ties and, you know, uh, a lot of positive things have happened there. That A lot of contracts have been signed, a lot of deals have been done. Um, I think it's a real shame he didn't get his loan move. I, I really just feel like that he will reflect mm. on this as kind of a season wasted ultimately. Yeah. I know that he had those good games in the Europa League group stage but I think he needed much more than that to put himself in contention yeah. to sort of return and be a, a first-team player at Arsenal. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I wonder if... It's very difficult to see a way back for him, isn't it? You know, uh, unless there a shed load of players leave in the summer mm. that we're not expecting, uh, I kind of feel like the writing might be on the wall slightly for Yeah, me. I think so. Okay, one final one from the Discord from Cluck the Rotisserie Chicken. He said, this might be a dumb question, but... Since we have a problem with the homegrown quota and it is an issue we always have to contend with, is it smart to have a third choice keeper in Runison that isn't homegrown? Unless you plan to have your first or second choice homegrown, which is a bit more difficult than your third choice. Since it feels like a waste of space to have all three keepers non-homegrown when you've got 10 other outfield positions uh, options to consider. Yeah, I really agree with that. It, it is a waste to have a, th- a third choice keeper not being homegrown. Um, and they they did try to 
bring in a second choice homegrown goalkeeper in David Raya. And actually in January, they looked at, um, what's his name? Freddie Woodman, who plays for Swansea mm. on loan from Newcastle. Um, he's been a kind of long-term player Arsenal have tracked and he's had an amazing season at Swansea, something like 15, 16 clean sheets. They're right at the top of the championship. Uh, he's got family ties mm. with the club as well. So I, I do think they're going to bring in a ho- I mean, what's crazy now is we have uh, three non-homegrown goalkeepers and mm. that is too much of your quota, isn't it? Don't you think? Yeah, completely. Completely. In a season when you've had to leave two players out yeah. because you don't, you have too many uh, non-homegrown players, that's crazy for the goalkeeping situation. I mean, Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's a really smart thing to do to have homegrown goalkeepers if you can get them, especially at third choice. It just Mm. helps balance the numbers. And, you know, we've got guys, I think Carl Hine, who is already an Estonia international, I think he qualifies as homegrown possibly this summer. Right. Um, So that might help out on that front. And then, of course, we've got uh, Arthur Conquo, who has been doing really well this year and has been involved with the first-team squad. I mean, really, one of those guys mm. should be capable of filling the third-choice spot. The only the only thing that's sort of tricky about that is, and I guess it's okay because they can kind of share it, but I interviewed Matt Macy recently, and he was talking about the fact that every season he wanted to go out on loan and he often ended up being told, well, we need a third choice keeper and you're homegrown. Therefore, we're going to keep you around. Mm. And, you know, I think he would admit that's probably not the best thing for your development. So no. it's the interesting decision to be made on those young goalkeepers who we really rate. You know, do we have, I don't know how you would do it. Do you send one out for six months, then the other one out for six months? I mm. mean, I guess that's quite a nice way of balancing it. But yeah, they need so. to play as well as, you know, make up the numbers in the first team squad. Yeah, otherwise you just sort of get caught in that cycle of being second, third choice yeah. goalkeeper who never gets to play. So, yeah, difficult one. Um, but, yeah, not a great use of resources. Uh, it's not an issue for us now in this second part of the season, but not something we can uh, we can have going into next season, that's for sure. Um, hey, listen, go on. Runarsson, whatever we may feel about the signing, it wasn't a lot of money. You know, and that's the mm. one saving grace. Yeah, I think it wouldn't surprise me at all if we, you know, moved him on in the summer. Um, no. Yeah, no, tried to sell him on it. somewhere else. Anyway, look, we leave it there because we've been going a good while. Um, so thank you as ever for listening. Um, thanks for uh, all your support and all the feedback on the podcast and everything else. Fingers crossed next week we're talking about a good win because we need to get back to winning ways against Leeds. We'll have an Arsecast for you on Friday, of course, uh, looking ahead to that game and everything else. So until then, take it easy. Bye-bye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.